Welcome to the 3 and D Podcast. Uh, my name is Sean Coleman, and uh, as always, very happy to have you. And I'm also glad to welcome back a uh, fellow co-host, Justin Lewis. Uh, uh, Justin, is <laughs> it's been an eventful start to 2020 for Justin, just like 2019 was. So we are glad to have him back. And uh, Justin, how's everything been going? Man, I just feel bad that every time we hop on the podcast, you have to say welcome back. <laughs> uh, <laughs> But uh, no, I appreciate you holding it down. Um, things are things are going. Life's uh, life's crazy. It's never guaranteed to be easy. So uh, we're just glad to be be living and breathing. Um, for those who may not know me, and Justin, or uh, I, I reside in Tennessee. Justin is uh, down in the in Florida, and so uh, we uh, uh, we we don't get together or anything on that. So we make sure that uh, when when we have the opportunity, we certainly enjoy getting together to talk Grizzlies basketball. And um, finally, we've been able to do that. I completely get life, so uh, glad that uh, glad that we're able to get back and get going. It's a fun week to to get back. You know, to talking about the Grizzlies, obviously. Um, you know, at, before the All Star break, or excuse me, immediately after the All Star break, five straight losses. You know, a few of them. You know, probably should have been the other way around, but the Grizzlies have turned it back around, thankfully, and have done so in impressive fashion. You know, Justin now three and six after the All Star break. You know, when the Grizzlies came back from the All Star break, and someone would have told you, you know, hey, through their first nine games, the Grizzlies were going to be three and six. What do you think your initial thoughts would have been if you were to, if you would have heard it back on February twentieth, and how does that differ from what you know about you know how they arrived at that record now? Well, you know, I was the one that put out the article um, about the path to the playoffs and just kind of keep it, trying to keep things realistic. Um, I'm not sure. Three and six doesn't shock me. Um, honestly, I think three and six might be a little bit better than I maybe even predicted them to do um, coming directly out of the all-star break just based on the schedule. But, like, you know, we've we've dropped a game that we shouldn't have dropped and then we won a game that we shouldn't have won. Um, and so I think it's kind of right where um, I, I would expect us to be. So um, now obviously we didn't expect, you know, or predict be able to the injuries to Jaron Jackson and, uh, Brandon Clark. So we we could have maybe even been better. And that's something that maybe we could talk about the takeaway is if if we weren't injured, is um, you know four and five or um, five and four, something that would have been realistic with those two guys, which would have been very impressive um, because of the schedule that came out. So three and six isn't surprising. Um, I, I think you know they're still playing above their heads, and that's a, an attribute to the to the players and to the coaching. You know, that's a very interesting perspective, and and I think that you are hitting the nail on the head. You know, this team continues to play above their head, and we're going to get into that in a little bit. Uh, but I do agree with you. I, I think three and six, if I would have been told three and six back on February 20th, I could see it happening. Obviously, um, a, a split with one of the Kings games would have been ideal. I definitely think we should have won um, the uh, – uh, the the first game back to the FedEx Forum when we uh, the the fifth game that we lost the other night one hundred four to one hundred one uh, we just we just could not get that run that we usually have but overall this Grizzlies team has bounced back the one thing again that I talked about a little bit in late January that this team has really established is that in games that they should win you know I 
the Kings are probably a team that's closer to being on par with us than people may want to think. But this team, the reason why they've been able to maintain the lead that they have and the lead that they currently have is because they take care of business and they've done so in more and more impressive fashion. Obviously, the you know historic wins over the, the Hawks and the Nets and then obviously beating the Hawks again last night. And the thing about it is, is that this, this Grizzlies team, the one stat that stood out to me the most was that in those two 39-point losses, um, basically the, the Grizzlies did not have a single player score 20 points in either of those wins, excuse me, the two 39-point wins. Not a single player scored 20 points in that game. So just an overall team effort. Justin, is that something that's kind of stood out to you about this team? Is that you know no matter what they experience, whether it be injuries, trades, whatever it may be, this is a team that truly plays together to a level that, you know, like you said, they're playing over their head, but it's because they play so well together, which is a tribute to Taylor Jenkins. Yeah, I think um, even more so than the the Taylor Jenkins factor, which I think is a major part of it, I think your superstars in Ja and Jaron aren't selfish superstars. Um, they aren't the, the James Harden, the Russell Westbrooks that demand the ball, have to be the one making the plays. Um, I think when you have uh, two young guys or the, the, the best two talents on the team that are willing um, and, and love to get their teammates involved, um, I think that's a, a big, big thing um, for the team. It, what I noticed the most about the way our team plays, they just love playing together. Like, they got each other's back. They're rooting for each other. Um, and I think when you enjoy playing with the guys that you play with and you enjoy running out there night by you know night after night, um, it, it makes a, a big difference. And I think the fact, too, that they do probably have a little bit of chip on their shoulder based on the Vegas predictions and how nobody thought they would be where they're at. And I think they want to continue proving people wrong. So I think all that you know kind of comes into play with that. And that's the thing that I'll say is that, you know, I, I agree with you. I don't want to sit here and say that Taylor Jenkins is the reason. He He's the overwhelming reason as to why this Grizzlies team um, is, is has exceeded expectations so much. I don't want to say that to the point that it takes away from the effort that these players have and, the, like you said, the chip on their shoulders. But one thing, and this is kind of the main point that I took away from the from the games this week, was that the one thing about it is is that this Grizzlies team just continues to perform well despite losing significant talent. You know, for instance, you know, in early December, you know, we, we were still trying to figure out our bench. Kyle Anderson was out. John Morant, Wendy Clark were out. Who stepped up? DeAnthony Melton. You know, as Kyle Anderson got back healthy and he got back to playing his form of basketball, he now has come in and is playing the best basketball of his career. Tyus started out, um, you know, struggling, being in a new uh, system. But as you know, since December 1st, he's been the Tyus of old, leading the league in assist-to-turnover ratio and having an effective field goal percentage and true shooting percentage above um, 55% each. And then, of course, you've got John ja- Josh Jackson, John Concher, Gorgie Dang. The thing that the reason why I bring up Taylor Jenkins more than anything is because this team is so deep. I'm not saying they've got the best bench in basketball. I'm not saying that they've got the most talented team in basketball. But what I am saying is that they're so deep and that every player accepts their role and does excellent in it. And even though we've seen some reserves become starters like Melton and Anderson with um, Jaron and Brandon Clark out, you've seen, dang, 
Concher, Jackson, all step in and all perform well. And I think that is a tribute to Taylor Jenkins. It just, it's shown that, um, you know, we have the ability for our coaching staff to add value, which certainly is a good contrast from what we've seen over the past five years. But the other thing, Justin, that I've kind of noticed, and I want to get your opinion on this, it also seems that as the team has changed philosophy or as the roster has changed, the team philosophy has changed a bit. You know, December into January, it was about the offense, about playing probably above our head, but literally having a top five offense in the league. Now, when you see Melton and Anderson and Josh Jackson being featured more, you know, the team's strength has become defensive. And that is really shown, especially in this week during these blowout um, games, you know, when the Grizzlies are, you know, allowing nine from 35 from three, seven for 42 from three. Do you feel like that the Grizzlies' philosophy has changed a bit from being an offensive juggernaut to a defensive stalwart? And do, do you feel like that, you know, while that may not be indicative of our future, it's been a necessity as our roster, um, as the people that we featured on our roster have changed? I don't know that I believe that it's a change in philosophy. Um, what I think it is, is think about the roster turnover we had this year and the amount of new guys that we have on the team. It takes time for that kind of communication and chemistry to take place um, on a team. So I think really what's happening is that teams are – the team is settling in and getting used to each other. Um, and obviously when you, when you add in uh, a player with the ability uh, like – Josh Jackson, um, you know, it takes that time for him to accumulate um, and get in and, and, and find where he fits. So I, I don't know if the focus went, you know, philosophy can be all right, we're going to win games defensively because the reality is all coaches um, want to be good defensive teams because everybody knows that to to win a championship, you've got to be able to play defense. Um, look at the, the, the Mike D'Antoni teams of forever. They can put up a lot of points, but they can't stop anybody. And that's one of the reasons that he's probably never going to win a championship is because defense is not a focus um, for his team. It's to get out and, and run and, and do all that. And, and so Jenkins being able to take the guys that he's had and, and fit them in um, and, and plug them in, it, that is an attribute to his system, um, the uh, the Mike Budenholzer system that gets you know everybody involved and doing all that. I think um, he's done a really good job of the roster he's been dealt, the injuries that he's been given in a trade and all that stuff. But I don't think um, he's just like all of a sudden said, all right, we're going to we're gonna take our focus off of this and we're going to shift it to defense. Um, I think the guys are just getting comfortable with each other. Um, they're communicating um, very well. And then when you have guys like Melton, Josh Jackson, and Kyle Anderson who are all, um, I would say, probably plus defensive players, um, that doesn't hurt either. And I agree, philosophy may not be the right word there, but uh, the team, not really identity. It's just, it's nice though to see this team be able to kind of adapt to the to the guys that it has to feature. And that's the thing about it is that, you know, this team, it, when they lost Jaron Jackson, when they lost Brandon Clark, you know, they lost two good three-point shooters, for instance. What have the guys done? They've stepped up. They've still taken the threes. Some of them have improved on the three-point shooting. The um, facilitation, it, it, while it has taken a bit of a step back from where it was in January, it's still there. We're still highly effective at setting guys up on offense. But you are right, and that was my main point, was that the defense, I really think that's what separates you know, the Grizzlies right now from the rest of the team that are chasing us, is that the Grizzlies can play good defense. I think that that's what separates the Grizzlies rebuild 
in that it's been such a fast turn of events from like other rebuilds, like the Hawks, for instance, who who just don't play a lick of defense a lot of times. So I think that this team continues to, to to really improve in the key areas that it should, and, and it's going to have to do that because you know, as I wrote, um, leading up to you know the start of the stretch run, I think our defensive play is what's really going to solidify us as a, as the playoff team, as the as the team that wins that eighth spot. If we can continue to get stops when we need to. I really feel like that the Grizzlies are going to be able to make headway and pull off the few upsets that they need to really get that um, eighth spot um, solidified. You know, the other thing about it, though, is that, you know, specifically Josh Jackson over the past month, obviously just a ton of coverage of him, you know, at South Haven, how the Grizzlies were handling, should they promote him, should they not, the little blip on the radar that happened with the missed team meeting. You know, he's just been a very talked about player for someone who's only played 17 games for the Grizzlies. But now that he's gotten his chance, it really seems like that he has fit in here. Justin, how do you feel about Josh Jackson? Do you feel that, number one, obviously, he's fit into the plans for this year. Do you feel like he's worked his way into the long-term picture for the Grizzlies? That's tough, man. Um, Part of me wants to say yes, and the other part wants me to say um, I hope. Um, I, I just I, with Winslow, you're obviously going to have him around, um, and then you just extended Dylan Brooks. You've got to extend. You, I think you've got to sign D'Anthony Melton. Um, is is another team going to be willing to uh, take a chance on him like we were? And are they going to pay him in the off season? If we can get him at the right price, I, I think we do need to keep him. Um, I will say this. His shot is ugly. Um, it needs it needs some work on his on his form. Um, he's been scoring the ball well lately. He is going to be a defensive player, um, but I just don't know. You know, they're obviously giving him a chance to showcase um, because you know they basically got him for nothing. Um, but long term, I, I like his potential. He was a number four pick for a reason, as he told John Morant. Um, after one of the games, he, he was, he has the potential. He has the talent. Um, I just don't know if it's going to be here be, because of Justice Winslow. Now, if we had not, if we had not gotten Winslow in that package for the, for what we got him for, um, I, I, I could have seen Jackson being the, the three going forward, like him earning that spot, earning that contract. And being with the Grizzlies as a you know the place where he redeemed his career, a la Zach Randolph. But with Winslow in the picture, I think that kind of changes it, and we may not see him um, beyond this season. That's a very fair point, and and I think, and in all honesty, I think that the fit of Josh Jackson likely makes more sense if the Grizzlies move on from others like Gorgie Dang in a, in a move for assets, or perhaps Grayson Allen in a move for assets, whatever it may be. You know, but if you really look at it, you know, there is a fit here for Josh Jackson. When it's the first unit of Morant and Dylan and Winslow and Jackson Jr. and Valanciunas, you've got another full lineup that's very intriguing on your bench in Tyus, the Anthony Melton, Kyle Anderson, Josh Jackson, and Brandon Clark. 
that is a second unit that could be easily one of the best in the NBA. And the big reason why is because it has such good defensive potential, which you typically don't see from a second unit. A lot of times when the skill level goes down, when these bench units come in, it becomes more of an open style game. It becomes less about um, strategy and, you know, scheme. And it just more becomes about, you know, Who's got the better talent? Well, if the Grizzlies have that much defensive talent on their second unit, they really can make a difference, you know, if they decide to keep all those guys. But again, that excludes Grayson Allen and it excludes Gorgie Dang. The bigger thing, though, for me that, that I find impressive about Josh Jackson and that I think is important is that if you want to label the guy as a bust, I completely understand that. You know, I think sometimes we rush too much to use that word. But the other thing about it is, is that even though he's a bust, it's important to separate that opinion from what he has emerged as. I get that, you know, overall, he may be a disappointment. He's probably never going to reach the level that a number four should. But you've got to separate your feelings about that from how you observe what he is. And I do feel he is a very good value, if not here elsewhere. I think that he has definitely emerged as someone who can really make a difference off the bench. You know, a guy that he reminds me of a little bit is kind of like James Johnson, for instance. You know, a guy that really is not a good shooter, really doesn't have just a clear defining skill, but overall he, he's kind of chaotic in, in, in a sense, but in a good way. He causes a lot of havoc on defense. He can finish on um, the fast break. He's athletic enough to be able to, you know, guard on the perimeter or the post, and he can nail down a couple of shots a game. So I think that Josh Jackson is definitely a significant bench piece somewhere as his NBA future goes along, and that's a lot more. Um, that's a lot further along than many thought he would be at this point when he came to the Grizzlies. I know, you know, as we turn the new year and he hadn't made a promotion, there was some rumblings that he may never get a shot with Memphis, but now he has, and he's really established himself, you know, on the bench, obviously. Justin, so we've talked about, you know, the first nine or ten games back, um, but now we're getting into a stretch run where we've got Orlando, but then after that, the schedule becomes extremely, extremely important. Um, and, and, you know, we, me and you both wrote um, in the uh, in a roundtable that came up that Joe Mullinax did through Grizzly Bear Blues a few weeks back where we talked about the most important stretch of the remaining for the Grizzlies. And we focused on March 21st through the 28th. That week, the Grizzlies played the Celtics, the Raptors, and the Pelicans twice. But before that, we've got games against the Magic, the Trailblazers, the Jazz, and the Spurs. That's going to be over the next four games. When you look at this upcoming schedule, I mean, there's just there's not a break in it. How do you think the Grizzlies should best approach this? I mean, in terms of getting Brandon Clark and Jaron Jackson back, in terms of their you know playing ability. Do you think that the Grizzlies, how do the Grizzlies avoid kind of falling off the cliff as these, as the schedule gets tougher? Man, uh, I mean, you got to have those two guys back. I think um, at some point soon uh, to keep your head above water and hang on, you definitely have to beat the Pelicans head to head. There's no doubt yeah. about that. Um, and I think if you do that, you may take a win out of their sales. They're, they're kind of, I mean, where we are right now, um, kind of, winning every other game or so, not really on a hot streak. I mean, nobody that's behind us right now is really just, you know, shooting the cover off the ball, um, a major threat at the moment. I still think the Trailblazers um, just have too much talent and too much experience for them to go quietly. 
Um, and then with the pop team, they're never going to go quiet. Um, I, I just, what can we do, Sean? I, they just got to play the way they know how to play. They need to play loose. They need to play free. They need to, you know, maybe even take the expectations and the pressures of the playoff off of themselves and just go out there and play basketball. Um, if I had, if you're going to force me to pick something, I would say that John Morant needs to be aggressive from the beginning of the game. Um, not wait until the fourth quarter to, to turn it on um, like he has done. I think he needs to, from the jump, um, go out there and make things happen um, and not be passive. Well, as we're talking, the good thing is is that, you know, both – right now, Sacramento is the team. They're three and a half games behind us, New Orleans four, and then the, Port, and then the Trailblazers and Spurs are four and a half. Well, as we speak, Sacramento is losing by one to the Raptors at halftime. Uh, but the Spurs, surprisingly, they are about, ho- hopefully, about to lose to the Cavaliers. They're down six late at, in the first overtime uh, period. Uh, but I agree with you. Aggressiveness, I feel, is going to be the big key. The Grizzlies just cannot afford to just sit back and let stuff come to them. They have been extremely extremely aggressive. They have been aggressive, for instance, in putting guys in positions where they need to play. Concher, Jackson, players such as that. They've been more aggressive on defense. They've been active. And I think that's what's got to continue, both on the offensive and defensive end. Because when you're aggressive, when you make things happen, that has the ability to minimize the weaknesses that are there for you while maximizing your strengths. And if the Grizzlies, especially on defense, can be aggressive, they can create turnovers, which can get them on the fast break, which is when they're at their best. The other thing that I think they've got to continue doing is facilitation, especially on offense. Staying smart, making the extra passes, making the smart looks, staying disciplined. If they can do that, if they can continue moving the ball, that gives players like Morant and Jaron Jackson when he's back the ability to be able to really dominate and and be able to find their shots. And the third thing is rebounding. I still feel that the Grizzlies, while they may not have a roster that would jump out as a rebounding, um, um, you know, one of the better rebounding teams in the league, they have continued to be there. And it's really been because of Jonas Valanciunas. I know Jonas is limited on his ability to really be able to, to make a difference, especially against smaller teams if they get him away from the basket on defense. But his rebounding is a key, key thing for the Grizzlies. And I think that as he continues to play in March, just like he did last year, I feel like that's going to continue to make a major difference for um, the Grizzlies. And overall, I really think at the end of the day, Jonas is going to play a major part in continuing continuing to allow for us to hold leads and to come back and, or gain leads in the first quarter if he continues to play hot. Justin, besides obviously the Grizzlies' playing style, you know there there have been other things that have occurred obviously off the court. We have um, obviously we uh, released Jordan Bell signed Anthony Tolliver long-term, and now we have made a, a pretty interesting signing in Jonte Porter, um, you know, the former uh, Missouri Tiger, a guy that was, uh, you know, a pretty looked at as a you know statistical, analytical darling in draft circles. What are your thoughts on those moves? Uh, you know, obviously some present and future focus there, but what are your thoughts on those moves? I was shocked to see Bill um, – let go. But when I thought about it, Bell is Brandon Clark without the ability to really spread the floor as well as Clark does. Um, so we don't really need two of those guys. Um, 
Tolliver is more of kind of what we want and need with his 10 day. Um, and so that, that made sense. Uh, a big that can, that will just can kind of just spot up and shoot. Um, now, as far as Jonte Porter goes, I'm going to call out Nate Chester. Um, he gets on the Grizzly Bear Blues um, group chat and said this is a Chris Wallace type move. And um, I know Nate's brand is to be negative, negative Nate, but he's just flat out wrong. Um, this is not a move that um, is Chris Wallace like at all, in my opinion. Um, I understand that he's saying it's, it's, he's relating it to Chandler Parsons and Jordan Adams, the guys that had he's taken a chance on that had knee problems. This team doesn't need um, much more going forward. Like they're they're getting set on their future already. Porter is well. It's a chance that you take on the talent that was supposed to be a um, mid to late first round draft pick um, when he was eligible to come out. Um, a guy that has been rehabbing, been working out. Uh, they're not going to just throw a multi year contract at a dude that they haven't looked at extensively um, and and know that he's he's going to be healthy um, going forward. So he is a, a flyer um, that I think I just – I had too much trust built up in, in Kleiman um, and the work that he has done for him to make some stupid move at this point in this season. Um, I think that it may be a steal of a move, um, and I don't think that there's anything wrong with it at all. You know, that's been a defining thing about the climbing era so far is that, you know, he obviously has made on the moves that he has to build this team up. But when you think about it, he doesn't really go – he he values a high floor in a player. And, and what I mean by that is this, is that there are players on this roster that have obvious flaws, but several of the players on this roster – also contribute in many more ways than you may not stand out. Obviously, it's assists, it's rebounds, it's, it's shooting, and if you're not if you're not just elite at all of them, you know it's being dominated at least one of those. You know, the Grizzlies don't have much of that. They've got a lot of good defensive players. They John Moran, obviously the exception. Jaron Jackson, also the exception. Uh, Brandon Clark's efficiency is there, and in Valanciunas' is rebounding. Well, what the Grizzlies have, they have a lot of toolsy guys, a lot of guys that can contribute on defense, can help facilitate on offense, that either are very good athletically or have good basketball IQ. And you see that, you know, Justice Winslow has displayed that. Jackson, um, I'm writing a piece on Josh Jackson right now where I'm going to talk about, you know, some of the ways he stands out, you know, that are, that you know, compared to elite company, it's just that he doesn't have the shot that company does. And then also now Jonte Porter. Now, let's keep it in perspective here. The goal for signing a John Tay Porter is kind of like the Bruto Caboclo signing last year. I think Porter can be better than Caboclo, but you're looking at, at Porter, you know, in theory, what you hope he becomes is maybe a reliable off-the-bench um, uh, stretch, stretch big. You know, eventually maybe he becomes the big that backs up Jaron and Brandon Clark, you know, once Jonas uh, potentially uh, goes to another team. Or he's there as the fourth or fifth big. So, this isn't a guy that the Grizzlies are really, you know, relying on to come in and just be a, the missing piece, you know, to make them a consistent playoff contender. But the fact is, is that he could be quality depth that they can control cheap for years to come. And for a team that's likely going to be without a draft pick 
basically Porter becomes your draft pick for 2020. So it's this low-risk signing that even if he does not develop to what he fully you know, could, he's the type of player who can still contribute and can find ways to win. That's why these lineups that feature Melton and Clark and Anderson and Josh Jackson are so productive. Though there's not a standout shooter or anybody that really stands out in one statistical category, as a unit, they um, they do well on both sides of the court. And I think that that's a big, big plus you know, for this team. So I think that it was an excellent signing. Um, Justin, do you have anything else to kind of hit on before we um, head off after another week and another fun conversation about the Grizzlies? No, I think we covered a good amount of stuff. Yeah, I think that there's been there's been a lot going on. You know, do I feel like there's going to be a lot more news in place? Probably not. We'll probably see some other roster, um, you know, changes. Obviously, with Clark and Jaron Jackson Jr. back, I know a lot of people want to see Contra stay on. And I would like to see it too. You know, we'll obviously see what occurs. But the big thing is, is that you know, this week we obviously have the Magic coming up on Tuesday. That's a must win. But again, huge, huge games coming up with the Trailblazers Thursday, the Jazz. Saturday, and then, you know, a week from tomorrow, the Spurs on Monday. You know, if the Grizzlies can start, you know, pulling out a few upsets, they definitely need to win Tuesday night. But if by the next time we talk with you, you know, hopefully they'll have another win besides the Magic game. We'll be good to go into um, a week from Monday versus the Spurs when the schedule really gets tough, you know, as the Grizzlies get further into the stretch run. For Justin Lewis, who you can follow on Twitter at J underscore Timberfake underscore. You can follow me at StatsSAC. You can also follow our podcast at 3ND Pod through the SBN Nation um, uh, Grizzly Bear Blues Podcast Network. We can't thank you enough for joining us, and we'll talk to you next time here on the 3ND Podcast.